0: This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. Welcome to the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and thank you for showing up this episode. And on this episode, we have Layla. Uh, She is a narcissist abuse survivor I interviewed her and her story is uh, pretty crazy Um, It involves her being married to a a police officer And uh, police abuse Uh, It's a scary story And she told her story uh, quite well Uh, But before we even get into that Let me just go over the regular uh, little thing that we now do before our shows. And just to state that narcissism is a character trait that exists on a spectrum. A small amount of narcissism is healthy. A person with an unhealthy level of narcissism may be called a narcissist. Uh, This podcast... Uh, We refer to a narcissist as a person who exhibits narcissistic traits and is on a consistent pattern of maladaptive narcissistic narcissistic behaviors, regardless of whether they meet the diagnostic criterion or have a formal diagnosis. A person may be referred to as a narcissist uh, on this podcast, even if it is more likely that they have another cluster B personality disorder, such as borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, or antisocial personality disorder. And now with that out of the way, I'm just trying to think of how my, how my week was before we get into, uh, the podcast, uh, with our interview. And, uh, I just want to say, actually, uh, want to say that later this week, cause I'm going to put out two this week because the second one is more of, uh, is not a story. It's just a great informative episode where we did a question and answer where all you guys sent in the questions to, uh, a therapist that we got to be on the show. Uh, we had someone on. Her name was uh, uh, Shirin Pekar. And oh, sorry, I didn't say her name properly. Shireen uh, Pekar. And Shireen was, it's a great episode. She answers all of your questions. We went through uh, close to somewhere between 15 and 18 questions that people uh, sent in to us. It's a very uh, informative episode. She answered them perfectly and clearly for everyone to understand Uh, hopefully we can get her back on that'll be later this week and so stick around for that one. that's going to come out pretty much i probably on the friday and we're trying to get those informative ones out uh, as fast as as we can uh so uh that is that and besides that i i didn't do much this week i uh did the podcast i edited you know you guys don't want to hear about me Uh, Oh, actually, one more thing. (laughs) I'm all over the place. One more thing. We started a Reddit group. So our subreddit, if you're on Reddit, look up Narcissist Apocalypse. That is what our subreddit is called. The N is capitalized and the A is capitalized on Apocalypse. If you're a Reddit person, we created a subreddit so we can all go on there. Uh, and talk, we can do postings in, in in the subreddit. If people aren't familiar with subreddit, it's kind of difficult for non-computer people to figure out at first. It's, it's a little confusing, but once you're on there and you join the group, we can all interact with each other better. And maybe uh, people who are once guests on the show can be on there and answer questions if they want to give updates on their life, anything that's like uh, that anyone wants to do, I'll pop up on Reddit hopefully a couple times a day just to see what's going on. I am a moderator there. I'm the only moderator. We already have 11 members after one day. I'll take that as good news. Um, and then besides that, oh, last thing before we get to the interview, and that's the second time I've said that. Uh, one of my friends, I was out the other day at a barbecue, and one of my friends uh, said to me, that, uh, they're like you, they said to me, you're a, uh, a certified coach. How come you, you never mentioned that, uh, on your show. And it just, it was not part of t- why I started the show in the first place. So, and I, and I don't uh, do it professionally. I actually got certified for, you know, my own, uh, curiosity and, and, and well being to learn how to communicate better with other people and listen better. Uh, so, Anyway, they told me to say that on the show. So yeah, uh, I I am. And uh that's maybe I'll, I'll do that now for at the beginning of the shows just to say I have some kind of qualification just instead of being me, uh to sit here and listen and, and talk to you. But uh I just like being me anyway. And so should you. Now, let's just get to uh listening to Layla and a story that is so hard to believe It would only like, if it was a movie, it would be hard to believe. Um, but, uh, it was her real life. And now, uh, here is her story. So we are here today with a narcissist abuse survivor named Layla. How are you doing today, Layla?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good. Uh, thank you for, uh, taking part on the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. And for everyone out there, you're about to hear, uh, an interesting story that involves, uh, Layla, uh, her marriage to a police officer and, um, the, uh, abuse, uh, that went with it. And it's a pretty scary situation because of the authority that, uh, this person had. Uh, and, uh, now I will get out of your way and the floor is now yours, Layla, to tell your story.
1: Um, where to begin? Well, my husband was very, very handsome. I actually met him um, because I lived alone and I heard a noise in the backyard and it scared me and I called 911 and my husband was the one who showed up, but you know, we, we didn't even know each other and just super, super handsome, pretty blue eyes. And it was just love at first sight. But we didn't start dating right away. We became friends. He was dating a lawyer um, at the time. And so we maintained contact and um, eventually started dating. And everything was perfect. We were, like, madly in love. He would – now, we both had children, so the dating wasn't – You know, as frequent because we both had children, he had a kid, I had a kid, his daughter's like um, 12 and my son's like 10 at the time. And so we're going on these dates, everything's fine, we didn't introduce the kids yet and um, all is perfect, didn't really notice anything. And I'm in nursing school, I have a house of my own, Um, you know, he just works, he has a house 30 minutes away. And he starts, um, oh, I'd really like you to come live with me. I don't get to see you enough. And um, I'm like, well, I have my own house. You know, I can come stay with you some, but, you know, I do have my own house. So I didn't know, like, is he wanting me to pay half the bill? Like, I wasn't sure. But, anyways, I ended up staying there a lot. And then my son and I did eventually move in. And. You know how they talk about these these narcissists, how they're secretly working behind your back. And I never really paid attention to it, but I he he told someone that I had just moved myself into his house. Like, oh, she just moved in. Um and he just he's like, Oh, and then I felt bad because you know her and her son. He tried to make me look like some kind of charity case. I was not in need of his home, but that was like a a little sign that I didn't pay attention to. I think it was my sister who told me. My sister was like, yeah, he just said you just moved in one day. So that was kind of like the beginning of his life. He's like a pathological liar. So anyways, I'm living there, um, cooking, cleaning, um, decorating and everything's good except he's got this mom that lives five minutes away and Chad this is a whole nother thing not only is this man a narcissist his entire family is like him it's like an entire group of toxic toxic people it's like their family norm and um you know I often think that the his behaviors stem back to his relationship with his mother and um Because she was very toxic, too. So, anyway, she lives five minutes away. During the day, while I'm away, she comes pilfering through the house. Um, And I I don't know her. She hasn't um, come to talk to me. Or, you know, just when you meet someone, normally in a healthy relationship, like, their family welcomes you in, speaks to you. So... His mom, because it ended up being a lot of the fights we got into, and ultimately the final, the final argument that resulted in, in him getting arrested, pertained to his mother and daughter. But he had this this bratty, spoiled child. Uh, you know, she's doing horseback riding, gymnastics, all these privileges, and so here, my son's living here, and he's, you know, seeing this, and I'm like, hey, you know, can can you like take Zach to do? Um, you know, gymnastics or or karate or something. And so there was a big difference in the children's, um, what they were, what they had, you know, one, one kid has all these things and the other one doesn't. And so that was something we would start arguing about, but I'm just, I'm trying to think of just where it all started. I had a job at a club. He told me to quit my job at the club. He's like, I don't like you working there. And, um, you know, if I had any guys' numbers in my phone, it didn't matter how old they, how old they were. Um, my son had a, had a little friend at school. They'd been best friends for years while I was friends with her dad. No romantic interest, not attracted. He was significantly older. I mean, I was not allowed to even have the numbers dormant in my phone that belonged to males. So he became extremely possessive. Um I, I quit my job and I was in nursing school and I worked a job. I just, I made really good money. So he made me quit the job. And then I'm like, well, you know, how am I going to pay my tuition? And uh, he said he was pulled out of his, his retirement. And so he did. And, and I agreed to pay him back one, you know, in four months. That was, that was the agreed upon date. So the next day he let me borrow the money. The next day, Out of the blue, he accuses me of cheating on him. Not cheating on him at all, never did. And I just felt like, what are you even talking about? I felt like I was having to defend something that didn't, it didn't even happen. There was no proof. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he just had regret about lending me the money. And so he just needed to find a reason to get it back. And so long story short, I didn't have the money. And I wasn't going to have it for four months, and that's what I told him. So he stayed drunk all weekend. He um, he was at his home. I was at mine, thirty minutes away. And he sends me this 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 picture via text. It's his door. His front door is kicked in. And then he sends me another picture text of his back all scratched up. And he says, "Why did you kick in my door?" Why did you scratch my back? And I'm like, holy shit, the man is accusing me of something. I'm, I'm literally nowhere near him. And I'm starting to get scared because, Chad, I've never been to jail. I'm like, I just haven't. And, and this is starting to scare me. And then the next day, um, he starts threatening me. He's like, I'm going to say you stole my, my credit card. He's like, why do you think? Why do you think I let you call and make the payment? And that that scared me because that showed some premeditation there because when he let me he gave me his debit card. He wanted me to call the school and pay it because he was driving and I didn't really feel comfortable doing that. And I told him that and he's like, "No, I can't do it right now, I'm driving." But he did call the bank and have the amount approved because it was a significant amount of money. But right there is just the monster like that you would premeditate setting someone up and anything over, I think like a thousand dollars is a felony. So this man's like accusing me. He's like, I'm going to say that you stole this card and, and he's a cop and I'm just, you know, a nursing student working at this shady joint, you know, at night. So who do you think they're going to believe? And it just really scared me. And so then he lets his, his, his mom and his brother in on what's going on. What do you call them? Like the little support people of the narcissist. Are uh, those the, the flying monkeys? Uh,
0: th- those are the flying monkeys, yeah.
1: Okay, so now he's got the flying monkeys involved in all of this. So um, he proceeds to tell them that I stole his car. And I mean, come on, I'm 30, how old was I at the time? 32 years old, never been arrested, never had, had committed any crimes. And I'm four months to getting a second bachelor's degree. Why in the world would I do something? I wouldn't. But, you know, with these types of flying monkeys, they don't ever come to you because this is what I experienced. They never came to me and said, hey, what's your version of this story? No one ever asked me. And I think in a situation like this with people like this, I think one of the biggest the biggest things that really frustrated me is you you lose your voice. I mean... I just felt like I didn't even have a voice. And so there, he started a group text with them, and he was telling them that I stole this card. And the mom wrote back, get rid of her son. And and who says get rid of someone like they're an object? And that's why I think the mothers really a big part of why he is such a narcissist, and he just discards people the way he does because I noticed the way that she would speak to him. And she's like, oh, get rid of her. Well, I'm a human being, thank you. You don't just get rid of people. so she told him to get rid of me. And then the brother's like, what a fucking bitch. Uh, you need to call the school and tell the school and, and a lot of nursing programs will kick her out. Chad, I had lived a very poor life. My My parents were not college educated. Food stamps, welfare, goodwill, clothes, the whole nine yards. And so, you know, I've really had to just fight like hell to get where I'm at. And you have these people that are just like, oh, let's ruin her. And not even, no one even called me to see what the hell was going on. And really, it was just he had stayed drunk all weekend But that was his go-to with, like, scare tactics when he didn't get his way. And so um, I had a friend who was a police officer, and I text, and I sent him all these screen grabs. And I'm like, I am terrified right now. Like, what do I do? I'm like, I'm scared someone's going to come arrest me right now. And he's like, okay, this is what you need to do. Because he didn't, my, my boyfriend husband, at the time he was my boyfriend, he didn't work in the city that he lived in. So this guy's like, you need to call the county he works in and call and speak to a supervisor and do what's referred to as a call log. And Chad, a call log is just like it's, a, it's confidential, only certain people have access to it, so no one really knows that it exists, but it's really just a documentation of, of an incident. And so anyone who's going through anything like this um, is certainly like an option, and so a crime had really been committed here and that I had been assaulted or that he actually went through with it, but it was just in case a detective comes to the house to arrest me or something, you know, hey, this call log, I called and I was, I was over here and, you know, it can show where the call was made from. So anyways, that's what I did. I called and had a call log done. Um, but when he started threatening to call my school, that was when I had enough um, because, Everyone at my school knew him. They knew he was a cop. And, um, I, I'm just like, I can't even, it was, it was the fact that he was going to plant the seed of doubt in people's minds. So I, I went ahead and called his department where he worked and I told them what had happened. And, um. You know, that's conduct unbecoming of an officer. You can't go around accusing people of stuff they didn't do just, just to get what you want. So they calmed him down. Long story short, he reverted back to the love bombing. So he took me to Charleston for the weekend and, um, you know, spent a $1,000 on this really nice... I mean, we had, like, the honeymoon suite at this beach resort. And, of course, the the our sexual relationship was very, very active and very, very good. And so, you know, here we are back to, back to being together and everything's fine. Um, and that's what he would do a lot. He would, um, take me on vacation or, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know, but that was just one of the the major stories. And, uh, so now um the family thinks I've stolen this credit card. They continue to treat me really awful. Um it's really affected our relationship with each other. Um and then and you know what, I don't know how long like he's been talking bad about me to them or making up lies. No wonder they they never spoke to me. You know, they thought I was a crazy person. And um by the time I was out of this relationship, that's how I felt. Like I had, I had gone crazy.
0: So from that point of when the trip happened, uh, how long until you got married?
1: Let's see. Um,
0: And I assume that during that period, so I'm sure during that period, uh, he was on his best behavior for that uh, next six months until you got married? Or did things happen in, in between there as well?
1: Oh, my gosh, no. And, you know, it's almost embarrassing telling this story because the one thing I get is, didn't you see red flags before? Yes, people. Yes, people. I did see red flags. But, um, you know, I I say to people I had battered wife syndrome before I was even a battered wife. Um, So I told you I quit that job. You didn't like this job that I had. It was at a club. And... So once I was moved in living there, um, he would get in these rages at night. Uh, he would accuse me of cheating. And I'm talking like a, a, a man's phone numbers in my phone, in my call log, you know, just like how you have numbers. I haven't called anyone. I'm not speaking to anyone. I just wasn't even allowed to have guys' numbers in my phone. And so at nighttime, he would get in these rages. And um, it, was, it was when, you know, the kids weren't around. And he would start screaming at me and barricade me in the bathroom and accuse me of cheating and just, I didn't know what to do because at this point, everyone knows that we're together. Um, Usually things are good between us, usually. And then he has these rages. And so he was accusing me of stuff I didn't do. And at first when he would act this way, I was just in such shock. Because I've never been in a relationship this abusive. Um, so I just sat there in shock, not I didn't know what to say. And um, you know, I'm just and then he would apologize. He would apologize. Sometimes he would even cry a little bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. And so, you know, once he had his rage and and got out what he needed to get out, all was good. And I didn't really know how to get out at that point. You know, I, I, I still loved him. Um, all my stuff was there, so I would have had to call my, my dad to come help me move. And then, you know, the social media aspect of it. You've got to get on social media and, and uh, change your relationship status. And I think just caring what people think, uh Someone keeps you in really bad places. <laughs> um, so that's no more either. I just really don't care at this point. But um, I I lived there with him, and uh, when when the kids weren't around, it was like he would degrade me. Um, he would accuse me of doing things I didn't do. You're just such a low life slut, a whore. You're you're stupid. Just all these awful things. And so that's where the breakdown is. They break you down first. Because I wasn't really being, I mean, I don't know. I wasn't being viciously physically attacked, but he was breaking me down, my self-esteem. He was just chipping away at it. And whenever we'd get in an argument at his house, he would throw all my belongings out in the yard. And, um, you know, my stuff would break. He, He just, no regard for me, no respect for me. And I'm just thinking is this even normal So I got there and pick all my stuff up off the ground, throw it in my car and drive to my house because I have a house and he would show up, Chad, and he would just, such a charmer. I'm so sorry. You're the love of my life. You're the one. I, I just don't know what things are so difficult because you're in school right now. I mean, he was just such a smooth operator. And I fell back into the trap every single time because at the time I didn't know what this was. And now that I've read these books, I'm like pissed because it's very by-the-book behaviors that he was doing to me. Um, So I go back. I'd go back. He would say, "I guess he would behave." Maybe a week is the longest he could go, because you know these people aren't real. The, the person I fell in love with wasn't even real. Mm-hmm. Is so once once he I saw who he really was, and then I would leave, and then he would love bomb me, and I would come back. He could only behave for about a week, and and then I'll tell you like. He would minimize my concerns. This is another thing. They, they minimize things when you try to talk to them. You know, I would um, decorate his home, and it was a total bachelor pad, and I just like things to be pretty. So I was decorating, and um, I walked by the daughter's room, and the daughter is in the room on the phone with her mom, and I'm, I'm always nice to the daughter, do nice things for her that I don't need to or have to, just trying to, to bond you know, this was at, like, the eight-month mark, I guess. And um, I walk by her room, and I hear her on the phone with her mother. And she's like, I don't know why, Maria I think she can decorate the house. This is me in Daddy's house. And, you know, the mom's like, well, where is where is she right now? Like, can she hear you? I don't care. If she comes to my room, I'll slap her in the face. And so, you know, I, I tell him about this, what I heard, and, um, you know, I'm really mad about this because this this child has me thinking that she likes me and the entire time she's been talking bad about me. And so when she gets off the phone, Chad, she comes out and she's like, what you guys doing with a big smile on her face? So the manipulation, the child's even doing it. She's learned it from her dad.
0: Oh, yeah. like you You can't blame uh her i mean she's she has uh a narcissistic uh father, her grandparents
1: And grandmother yeah yeah
0: i mean yes. th- like she has no, I, she has no I, chance
1: well, and so that's what i have started to realize because at first I'm like when it, she first started doing these things, and you have to understand she went around to his entire family talking bad about me simply because. She was jealous or didn't want to share. And it made me so angry. Now, I was always nice to her. But, you know, I never really addressed it with her. And um, I always went to her dad and I was like, hey, like, this is what she was doing. This is what she was saying. Anyway, he told me, and this is typical of them, too. Well, you shouldn't have been at the door listening. Mm-hmm. So it became my fault. And... um you know, we, just, we would get into it over the children, um, over, particularly over his daughter being so um, hateful to my son and I. Very hateful child. But, again, Chad, she learned from the best of the best. She learned from her father and her narcissistic grandmother. And so she really doesn't, she stands a chance, but only if she gets therapy before she's a young adult. And, um,
0: it, it, how did your, uh, uh, son function in all of this? How, how, uh, have you spoken to him about what's happened? And, uh, I not, no,
1: mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm.
0: but, but did he, so he got it from, uh, he d- didn't get along with her. Did he get along with, uh, your husband?
1: Uh, he actually, he got along with both of them. He did. And, um, I didn't tell him, so obviously he knows we got divorced. Um, and, you know, I just told him, you know, I don't get along with him or his daughter and it just wasn't working. And he's like, okay. Okay. You so know, he did, so he did, that's, he did.
0: that's good that he was kind of, uh, shielded from what was going on behind the scenes. Cause I guess it was all behind the scenes, mostly when he wasn't there.
1: It was well, and you have to keep in mind this this guy he's not wanting to lose his career mm-hmm. and so he's not going to be doing he's not going to be body slamming me to the ground and restraining me to the ground with witnesses around and so that was that was a good thing for my child though because he was never around for it he wasn't going to see it and um you know, he, he knew, my son knew there was a few little problems, but we typically weren't like doing, we weren't yelling or screaming around the children. You know, it would be on a typical work night, his daughter's with the mother, my son's with my dad, because we both have to be up extremely early and we can't take the children to school anyway. So it'd be those times when the kids were out of the house that he would just really just do whatever he wanted to me. And it, it, usually pertain to him saying something nasty to me, tearing me down. And when I go to leave the house, falsely imprisons me. Like he won't let me leave. He takes my phone, he throws it across the room. So I can't call for help. And body slams me to the ground because I'm wanting to leave. Like he's polluting my my emotional health. Like I'm not gonna stand here and let you just say these nasty things to me that I know aren't true. And so as I go to leave, this is the, one of the things he would just, it was a very common thing for him to do to me. He would, like, body, he, I would lose my footing. Um, and he would, you know, he would body slam me to the ground. He would, like, take my feet out from under me, body slam me to the ground, get hold of both of my my wrists, and restrain me to the floor. And he would put his face on my face. And just say whatever he wanted to say. Whatever whatever nasty, degrading things he wanted to say, he would say them. And I just could not get up. I was just stuck. And when I would finally get up, I feel so violated. Um, just so so upset over it. And I look at myself and I'm like, I don't have a mark on me. Chad, I don't have a mark on me. The man just body me to the ground. You can't call the police with no mark on you. And um, you know, I, he really chipped away at the self esteem. Is like the main the main thing that he did to me. And then, um, and then there was the cheating. There was the cheating. Um, I don't know when the cheating started. Um, I know that when we get in fights, he would mention other women like, Oh, I should just go be with so-and-so. And, um, I remember we were actually on vacation in Florida. We'd stayed at a glorious Stefan hotel, beautiful hotel, like just paradise all week. It was sunny. It was beautiful. We're out on the beach. And that's the thing with these people, whether things are good or bad, He was cheating no matter what. And his primary, his primary thing was Snapchat. That's the thing that I would always catch him on. And, um, you know, we're at the beach having a good time. We get um, back to the hotel and he's like really tired. I don't know if he drank too much or what, but he goes in and, and he passes out. He left his cell phone in the car which is, like, highly unusual. It's always glued to him. And so I'm sitting there texting my friend, and all of a sudden his phone goes, you know, a little a little beep or something. And I look, and, you know, it's locked. But Chaddy had it set, so, like, if he got a Snapchat message, it would show up on the screen. You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. And so here the Snapchat comes through, and it's from his ex-girlfriend. And... So anyways, I took it, I took it upstairs. I made him open the phone. I made him. And it was just like, he'd obviously sent her a picture, but here we are. The point being here we are on vacation. It's one of the rare occasions where we're not in an argument. And here he is. He had sent her a picture of the beach. Like you're on vacation with me and you're thinking of your ex-girlfriend, but it was just always things like that. The cheating was just a constant. Once I caught him, it just, it just remained, you know, the cheating, the the devaluing, the discarding. I can't tell you how many times he threw my stuff out in the yard. Um, I, I even had landscaped his yard one time and I bought like five boxwoods and he got mad at me and he wanted me to leave. And so he's screaming, raging. And I get out to my car and he yanks these boxwood bushes out of the ground you know, they have this root ball on them, all this dirt attached. He opens my car door and swings five boxwoods into my car. And um, while I'm gathering my stuff, because he's telling me that I need to just all of a sudden move out abruptly, um, he slams me up against the wall by my throat. And um, when I get out to the car and he's, he's throwing these boxwoods in my car and he's acting crazy, I call 911 and the dispatcher's like, Have you been assaulted? And I'm like, I can't answer that. And she goes, Have you been assaulted? I go, I can't answer that. She goes, Well, stay in your car and lock the doors. And I do. And so the police get there. And, you know, really what I'm wanting is my son had picture day the next day and I bought this really nice outfit for him at the mall. And it's like eight o'clock at night now. Like, the only thing opens Walmart if I can't get this outfit out of the house. And so the police come and I, you know, they see the bushes in my car. They see the holes in the ground where he put the pulled five boxwoods just out of the ground like a lunatic. And um I'm just wanting I'm wanting to go in the house and get my son's clothes. He wouldn't let me get my son's clothes out of the house. And um so the police are there and I'm covering up my neck at this point with my hair. I did I wouldn't even tell on him. I would not even tell on this man. And they're like, have you have you been um, assaulted? No, I'm okay. And uh, I'm covering up my neck because it's got these marks on it from where he's flung me up against the wall. And so it's my, you know, it's part of, partly my fault. I, I wouldn't tell. But, I mean, I'm thinking, why didn't they just ask me to move my hair back a little bit? You know, when you're, like, battered up and stuff, you just, you're protecting the person. I don't know why. I don't know why we protect them. I just know we do because I did. And so, long story short, they wouldn't even let me. The police are like, you don't live here. So I'm like, I live here. All my stuff's here. Um, but, like, do you pay bills here? And I'm like, no, I have a house. I don't pay bills here, but I, I've been living here for so-and-so months. Well, here in the state of North Carolina, man, if you don't pay bills here, you you know. And they're his like, clearly one of them knows him and they're big buddies. But what would it have hurt for them to go in the house and get my son's outfit? And, and then, so this is like the funny part is after they left, I, you know, I left and I just went to Walmart and got an outfit and he, you know, of course apologized the next day and I got his work phone and I went through his work phone and that, that officer who come to the house had actually texted him and told him, um, Hey, don't worry. I won't tell anyone about this. And it's really embarrassing. And, You know, you should get a restraining order against her. She's going to cost you your job. So here I'm the victim. I was the one who was um, swung up against a wall by my throat, which the cop doesn't know. But even not knowing that, all my stuff is all over the yard. I'm talking underwear on top of my car. He threw my panties on top of the car. Bushes in the car. Um, Anything glass is broken on the driveway. And the cop, his friend feels it's appropriate to say, hey, you need to get a restraining order on her. I mean, I like they just stick together, so I'm like, oh well, I guess I won't be calling the cops anymore. But um, then where do we get to? We get to marriage. I was gonna move away because I'd really kind of felt like I had enough, um, and we weren't engaged. He kept like, oh, we'll get engaged, we'll get engaged, we we're engaged. Finally got engaged. He went out and bought me a really pretty ring had a marriage, you know, we got married on the beach in Charleston. It was a really pretty and um we bought a really nice house, a really expensive house. And um that's when the abuse got really, really bad. And and I know I've I've heard about, you know, when you get married it gets worse. It always gets worse. Well for me, that's what happened. It got ten times worse. So maybe he would hit me once a month or grab me once a month or this or that. Now it's turned into three times a week. And, um, the, the incident where he would get the worst is around the holidays. So it's like, um, Thanksgiving's approaching and we spend it with my family. Chad, I have a you know, some of my family members are really nice. And so the ones that we were spending Thanksgiving with were really nice. And, um, so they came over, and they had Thanksgiving with us. And I'll tell you, like, he – I wasn't having Thanksgiving with his with his mom. I couldn't stand her. The last time I'd had dinner with her, she told me I needed to get rid of my cats. And so, anyways, we had it with my family. And so I'm wondering what he's telling his family because I don't ever hear from them. And so I, I look at his phone, and – um he tells them that he's working. It's like, Oh, I can't come to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm working. So he's lying to them, telling them that he's working on Thanksgiving. He, so he had a Facebook and an Instagram. He didn't post any pictures on either one. So he's just like living this double life. He's just, I don't know what he's told them or maybe he told them we broke up or we're not together or we're getting divorced. I don't know, but he was always living a double life even before we got married. And so, you know, when, he'd either deactivate his social media accounts when he wanted to, to live this double life or he would just not post anything. So he told the family he's at work. We're having Thanksgiving dinner together. Um, he's upset because he's not spending it with his mom. And, um, for the next couple of days, he started drinking even more than he normally did. And we went out to dinner. He started drinking at home. I wasn't ever really a big drinker, so I was typically the driver. So he starts drinking. Um, what do you mix with Coke? What what's the alcohol guys like to mix like with a Coke? Like Jack Daniels? Yeah, yeah, like Jack Daniels. So he, has, he got a big bottle of Jack Daniels, and I'm getting ready. We're at the house. He's drinking. We're going to go out on a date. And half the bottle of Jack Daniels is gone before we even leave the house. And so we go to, like, Carabas. I think that's where we were going, Carabas. And we sit down, and everything's, like, going good. And then uh, he said something really offensive to me. And I think he, I think he's like, said something about my son being a crybaby or something. And, um... I just kind of, I pushed my food away. I, my the food didn't even get there. I think I was eating the bread. It was, I was eating the bread and I just kind of pushed it away and went out to the car and we got into it in the restaurant. I mean, we weren't like screaming or anything. It was just one of those like quiet, you know, little, done. <laughs> the food hasn't even come yet. So I got to wait in the car for him and he comes in the car, and he's just, you can tell. You can just tell him his demeanor. He's just mad as hell. And he gets in the car, and he slams the door so hard, I thought the door was going to break off of the vehicle. And we're driving home, and we're arguing about this conversation that we had. And I talk with my hands sometimes, and I'm talking with my hands. He's like, if you touch me, I swear to God, I'll bash your head in. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not touching you. I'm just talking. Not touching you. But it was just he had been putting his hands on me for six months. And so that's the nervy part here too. So you can body slam me and sling me up against walls and um, you know, do all these things to me. And if I touch you first, it's like not allowed. I mean, not that I did, but it's just just the nerve. Like you can go do this to people all the time, but if someone does it to you, it's just not acceptable. You're gonna bash their head in. So we get home and um we're in the room and we're fighting and I'm telling him about his mom. I'm like, you're just mad because you're you didn't get to have Thanksgiving with that. And yeah, I said some not nice stuff about her. I mean, the lady told me to get rid of my cats. Like, don't worry about my animals. I have two cats. She doesn't like cats, she thinks they're filthy. Which is really none of her business. But we were into it about just everything. The daughter being mean to me and my son. The the, the grandma being nasty to me. And um, we got into it. And I, th- I said something about his mom. I think I called her like a bitch or something. Told her, you know, to go, you know, go to hell. And um, that's when he hit me. He I was in the closet gathering my clothes to move out for the hundredth time. And um, and while I'm trying to gather my clothes, he's taking all my stuff and he's throwing it out on the porch. This is, like, one of the main things with throwing my belongings out in the yard. It's become, like, a normal. So he takes my wedding dress. I have this beautiful wedding dress, an Eve of lady wedding dress. He throws it out on the lawn. All my clothes are out in the yard. And so I'm still in the closet, and um, I get up. And he's yelling at me, and then bam, he just he smacks me as hard as he can in the face with a coat hanger. And I was like, I've just never been hit. I've never been hit with an object, you know, as an adult by a man. And so I'm like, this is new. This hasn't happened before. So I gotta run out of the house because at this point I'm scared. Like I'm, I just, I'm scared. And I go to run out of the house and he yanks me by my hair and, um, you know, yanks my hair about three times as hard as he can. And then he finally just picks me up because I'm like 105 pounds, 5'4", not very big. And he just picks me up and carries me to the door and shoves me out the door. And... You know, my I had my cousin come over. My cousin came over, and um, because he was friends with him, and he was really mad. He's like, "Look at her face! You know, look what you've done to her." And uh, I was wanting to call the cops. And he's like, "Don't do that. If you call the cops, we'll both go to jail." I don't know why the hell I would go to jail. He didn't have any marks on him. I didn't touch him. Normally, Chad, I might, I might fight back. And when I say fight back, I just mean like. If he had me restrained to the ground, if I could get one hand loose. Now, remember, in the beginning, I was just such in shock. I just would sit there and cry or just not know what to do. And as time progressed, and the abuse continued. I started to to fight back. And when I say fight back, I just mean if I could get one hand loose, I would scratch his face. Like, I would literally, because that was all I could get to, is scratch his face. And... You know, once he got off, that was it. It wasn't like I would continue. You know, I wasn't. It wasn't coming from a place of like anger. It's coming from a place of like I need to set myself free. And so, when he would go to work, you know, he'd tell a couple of his buddies, "Look at my face. He scratched my face. She's abusive too." And so, for a brief moment there, you know, until I started going to therapy, he had me convinced that defending myself was abuse. I'm like, oh my gosh, I did, I did leave. And that's how he convinced me not to call the police. Because any, any assault that he initiated that I combated and left a mark, he had me convinced we would both go to jail. Mm -hmm. And if there's no video footage, no witnesses, no nothing, it's it's our word against each other. You know, it's just my word against his. And both people can go to jail. And that was scary to me too. And so... On this particular night, I finally had him. As far as, like, you did this to me, there's not a shadow of a doubt. But I went to bed. I didn't call the cops. He had taken my phone um, for a few minutes and convinced me not to call the cops. He said that we would both go to jail and that we would both lose our jobs. And, you know, I'm a nurse. He's a cop. I I just graduated, had become a nurse was working as a nurse, I'm just like, I'm not even going to take a chance on losing my job. And so I didn't call. And he gets up the next morning. He doesn't apologize. I go downstairs to sleep in a separate room. He stays upstairs. He goes to work at, like, 645 in the morning. Gets in his little cop SUV and uh, drives off. And then he comes home about a few hours later. I'm still in bed. And he packs a suitcase. And this is what they do, too. Just, like, why are you packing a suitcase? Like, here he did something awful terrible to me. And he, he, the, the psychological mind-screwing they do with you, this man is pretending like I've done something wrong and he's got to pack a suitcase to leave. And where do you think he's going, Chad? My biggest, my biggest fan's house. His mother. Yeah. I cannot stand that lady. So he packs his suitcase, he leaves, and I'm just laying in bed, and I'm just like, you know, I've been dealing with this for six months, maybe eight, and um, I'm like, what's going to happen to him? I'm like, he's never, he's never been on food stamps or welfare, you know, his daughter has these braces you know my son you know i couldn't afford great and i'm like i just worked so hard and now i've just gotten into this terrible abusive relationship and i'm like we're now we're going to get divorced i'm probably going to lose a little money out of this house we purchased and things are going to be harder for my son and i not easier and i'm like he's just going to proceed doing this to people and, um, and his uniform, I mean, he's really, really handsome, especially in that uniform. And I'm just like, I just that can't happen. Like this man cannot continue doing this. And so I call the police. I don't call his, his police department. I call the sheriff's department and I just tell them, I'm like, I just need to know what to do. I'm like, my husband keeps hurting me. He keeps assaulting me. And every time I try to call and get help, he tells me we're both going to go to jail. Is that true? Well, ma'am, yeah, that that is true. I mean, you know, most people have marks on them. That is that that can happen. And um, he's like, I tell you what, why don't you come in and talk to me? And um, so I did. I told him, you know, over the phone. I'm like, yeah, you know, my my husband's a police officer, and and last night he hit me in the face with a coat hanger really hard, and blah blah blah. And I didn't, I didn't even think about it, Chad. All of this was being recorded. In addition to, they have this system where they can look up your number and find out who you are. So they already knew who I was, even though I had called anonymously because I still wasn't sure if I wanted to tell on him. And. um so I go in, and I see, you know, I've got marks on me from that coat hanger, and um, I actually had bruises in my ears, too. They were about three days old, but but one of the main points I'd wanted to talk about was when a police officer does this, and this is in my experience, it could be different for other people, but he was very premeditated in the physical violence in that he would typically do things that would not leave physical evidence, and that's what makes it so tricky. Um about like getting help or proving that it's happening or, you know, he would pull my hair. That I didn't leave evidence. He would um, drag me around by my ears. You know, he'd grab, when he'd get mad, he'd grab my ears and just fling me around the house. And that typically didn't leave evidence. Now he had done it so many times one week. Because I told you once we got married, these just got way, way worse. And so he grabbed me by my ears, and he flung me around the house. And I think he'd done it about three times that week. And so that normally wouldn't have left bruises, but it did this time. He'd done it so many times. And so uh, the body slamming, the restraining, the false imprisonment when you're trying to leave and they're and they're keeping you there. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, and and one time he even held me upside down by my ankles. Like he grabbed me off the bed held me upside down by my ankles and told me he was going to drop me on my fucking head. Now, granted, I was only, like, you know, a few feet off the ground. It probably wouldn't have really hurt me. But, I mean, who does that? Who holds someone upside down by their ankles and threatens to drop them on the head? And, again, no physical evidence with any of these things I've just talked about. So, anyways, I get there. I have marks all over me. Um, They take a, a police report. I must have been there, like, five hours. I think they had me retell the story a thousand times. And so he gets arrested and it's all over the news for three days. And it was so embarrassing because I hadn't told anyone what was going on. I had kept it a secret. And so while they didn't list my name on the news uh, outlets, everyone knew that was my husband. And so I'm working at the hospital and everyone at work knows they were nice enough not to say anything. Um, but it was just what happened after his arrest that just, uh, he he had a no-contact order in place. And he was in jail for three days. And when he got out, um, I was at a gas station. So one of the coping to get through all of this. There's been a lot of smoking. I hate to admit that. I really do. But, I can, you know, I haven't been able to sleep. Uh, for a while now, and so, oh, you know, I was parked at a gas station off of a, a pretty popular highway, and I'm just sitting there smoking, and just he pulled up next to me. He just he either he knew me that well, or he had some kind of like tr- tracking device on my um, on my phone or something. I don't know. And uh, he pulled up next to me and he, he's like i'm sorry and you must I, have been I, you, know, you must
0: have been scared to death when he pulled up next to you
1: i almost died i didn't know what to think but i was sitting so i was sitting at a well lit gas station right in the front so um i was though it was just very unexpected because this wasn't even a gas station that i would go to a lot and so i was just in shock really in shock that he would violate a no contact order And, uh, it it really just in shock. And, And I'm thinking to myself, he's going to be mad as hell that he went to jail. And it was pretty embarrassing. I mean, he was arrested at work. So, you know, it wasn't like, so yes, I was to answer your question. Yes, I was. And, and he apologized and it really caught me off guard because I'm like, wait, he apologized. He's not mad. Um, so this is the person. The I'm sorry. I just want to like say this is the person that's not real. So he's saying he's sorry, and at the time I'm believing it. But now that I'm out of the situation, I can look back and say that was the that was the mask. He was not sorry, but he said he was sorry, and I believed him, and um, I was very surprised. And he said they took my. And I'm like, who took your phones? He's like, the sheriff's department took my phones. They took my work phone. They took my private phone. He's like, do not text those phones. Because, you know, Chad, again, when the text message comes through, it shows on the screen, even if the phone's lost. So the detective who has these phones can at least read portions of a text that's not too long, if that makes sense. So he tells me they have his phones, um, He would not, so the entire investigation, he would not release the the passcodes to these phones. Um, But anyway, so he tells me not to text these phones. He went to Walmart and bought one of those, like, Verizon $50 phones, and um, he gave me the number to it. And uh, he told me to call him or whatever. And... um, which I don't think I did. I don't think I did, but he left. He so he's staying at his mom's house. I'm staying at, at our house. And he starts texting, you know, he starts texting me and, you know, I didn't tell on him. And now that I think about it, I guess maybe I should have, but you know, every time this man gets arrested, it's going to be on local news. And so that was embarrassing to me. Um, so that was, there was a couple reasons why I didn't call, but, um, You know, it was just embarrassing to me every time he ended up on the news. And I knew that if he violated that no-contact order, he would be arrested again. And I'm just very confused at this point. I don't know if I want him to lose his job. Um, You know, I kind of feel, I I really feel kind of sorry for him. And so, you know, just a a lot of confusion is what I felt. A part of me was mad. A part of me was sad. A part of me didn't want him to lose his job. A part of me. And so... Internal Affairs calls me. This is about a week after he'd gotten out of jail. They call me. You know, these are the people that investigate officers at his work. And they call me, and they're like, you know, I'm sorry that you've gone through this. I'm sure, you know, it's been a very traumatic event, um, but we wanted to call and get a statement from you. And I said, no. I said, I'm not giving a statement. I really just want to be left alone. And so what what happened to him had happened to him. And maybe they'll fire him, maybe they won't, but I didn't want to help them fire him. So I didn't give a statement. I was trying to have mercy on this person. And so he works on me. for. Next, so the, the, hearing, the hearing is, like, in three weeks. And it's not like the actual where we're going to be testifying. It's just to do, like, some logistics stuff you know, when will be the actual hearing. So it's basically a hearing so, to so schedule. It's a, so, another it's,
0: so it's three weeks from now.
1: Yeah, it's, three okay. weeks. it's about three weeks. Yeah, so about three weeks from the day of the arrest.
0: Three it, or four weeks. So this is really fresh.
1: Well, it happened November 27th or 28th of 2018. And then, so yeah, it was it was pretty fresh. To, it still is kind of fresh to me, but, you know, he was arrested at the end of November. Um, so,
0: but, but from you, the time of the arrest, but, but you're still like this, I mean, you're still married to him.
1: Oh yeah. Yes. Y- yeah. So, so, I so you so, legal- so you're, so you're well, still yeah.
0: really like, this situation is still going on, um, for you right now. So, how uh throughout this are you coping or getting through this um while it's still cuz it's hard to get any sort of closure or move on while this is still going on uh what's going on with you and and how are you uh dealing with everything
1: well let me see i'll tell you at first it was so stressful um i really had no appetite i stopped eating I think I lost about 20 pounds. I mean, by the time I got, so that was in North Carolina. By the time I got to Florida, which is where I'm living now, I looked like a cancer patient. Um, I wasn't eating. I I wasn't sleeping. So the the biggest things I noticed was my lack of appetite and how much weight I had lost. And then the sleep. I literally could not sleep. And it made it hard to function, um, you know, because I worked these these long 12, 13-hour shifts on about four hours of sleep. I found myself staying up till about three in the morning. Um, So when I got to Florida, I took about a month off because I just was so traumatized. I was so scared at this point um, by what had preceded that arrest and just the, the different things that had happened. He was not sorry. Um, and it got very, very scary. He, you know, filed a false police report, you know, something bad happened to me. So by the time I get here, I'm just basically I feel like I'm just trying to live. Um, so the first thing I do is and I'm crying. I'm just I'll be I'll be driving and I'll just start crying to the point where I can't even drive the car. And I'm just so upset. And there's there's just no one that I even know that has even gone through anything like this for me to even talk to. So, Chad, the first thing I did is I just looked up, like, a counselor. I'm like, I need to go to therapy. And um, so I came across this guy that specialized in, like, domestic abuse counseling and, uh, you know, like, personality disorder. So, anyways, I, went, I started going to him. And it didn't really – I mean, I feel like it was nice to have someone to talk to. But it didn't really help. The first couple of sessions were just someone to talk to. Um, you know, who's was just there to listen. And now, yeah, I've been doing it for three months now. So now it has started to help because now we've really delve into what got me into this, why did I stay into this, and um, what was? So I just had to ask, what the hell was wrong with me? to think that being treated that way was okay. uh, a, A healthy person would have never tolerated that. And so I'm like, something's not healthy in me that I kept allowing this behavior to go on, you know, maybe once or twice. But when someone keeps doing stuff like that and you just tolerate it. So I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me because the main goal here moving forward is, To never get into this again, and if I am to encounter someone like him or a relationship like that, is to get out right away and not make excuses for it. And so, yeah, I've just been going to therapy, a lot of chain smoking going on, my sleep schedule is still a little bit altered, um, my son and I, so my son's not with me right now. He, he went to go see his dad. Now me and my husband, we don't have children together. So my son is with his dad right now. But when he was here a couple weeks ago, we, um, we've been fishing a lot and I find that fishing of all things, never, never been a fisher or whatever. I just, I don't ever go fishing, just, but that's what I've been doing, fishing, um, riding my bike. And the most helpful thing, I guess, through all of this is just reading um, reading books on this man and on what happened here. Because when I started reading these books, Chad, that's when I really realized what was going on. I'd never heard of a narcissist. I didn't know what that was. I'm 33. I've never, like, I don't know. Maybe I heard of one. I just never knew what they were. And so I've just been—I've been reading these books like Healing from Hidden Abuse or Whole Again. Like I've just got all these books that I've been reading, and what I found is that when I was reading them, I was getting really angry. I didn't say I was getting angry because this man, like the things he did to me, are in this book. The things his family did to me are in this book. Like everything he did was by the book. And had I known anything about this, I guess I would have—I would have known. Uh, sooner.
0: Can you tell me what that book is, uh, so everyone out there can uh, hear what it is, so they might, if they're in the same situation, they might want to go out and get it.
1: Sure. So one of the books is by Shannon Thomas. Um, it's called Healing from Hidden Abuse: A Journey Through the Stages of Recovery from Psychological Abuse. And so it really deals with psycho. It deals with abuse from. You know, my part of it wasn't the relationship, but it, it could be a relationship, a friendship, um, a, a parental relationship. Um, but I like this book because it talked about like the toxic person's family and how they target the victim. And so you really feel outnumbered sometimes in a situation like this. And when you have no support and you feel outnumbered, so his whole family's mistreating me. They're all talking bad about me. And you just feel like it's the crazy making. You feel like maybe you are wrong. Um, and then let's see. Another book I got was Soul Again. Feeling Your Heart and Rediscovering Your True Self After Toxic Relationships and Emotional Abuse. And that one's by Jackson McKenzie. And um, so I get these books on uh, Amazon, but that's been the biggest thing, the biggest thing, because you feel crazy. You feel like it's your fault. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand They, you can't talk to them about it. It makes them uncomfortable. And so just reading these books has been very helpful to me and just educating myself, um, on this. And, and, um,
0: How's your support system, uh, now that you're in Florida, do you have, uh, did, did you move there cause you had friends there or, is uh, it just like a brand new start and it was far away from uh, North Carolina?
1: Well, it's far away from North Carolina. Um, my mom lives here, not really close to her. I mean, she's okay, but um, no, I, I, I had no friends here, no job here. Um, I just, well, I told you, Ted, I was scared. This man was like going to plant drugs in my car or something. It got to the point where he was so mad that I pulled on him that he was out for blood.
0: Mm-hmm. So it was a lot for safety and the law. You know, he doesn't know any cops there. He's not connected to anyone there. And, no, and you yes, can be away.
1: Yes, so. Yeah. See, there's there's no way that I could be be arrested based off of one of his falsified police reports or have drugs planted in my vehicle. I mean, these were the things. At the end, like he was so angry because it looked like he it was a big possibility that he would lose his career, and so he was never sorry for what he did, Chad. He was sorry that he got caught. Um, and, and the sorry was a a way of manipulating me. So he worked on me up until those hearings to have me first lift that no contact order. Once that's lifted, now he's coming in, being all nice and nice, trying to get me not to testify, trying to get me to go into IA and say that never happened. And when those things didn't happen, when I didn't do those things, it became full blown Blackmail, falsified police reports, just anything he could do to severely impact my life. It didn't matter if it was if it was a lie. And so when a cop starts lying to punish someone and and the falsified police reports, it just got so scary. So now, I'm not close to my mom. I don't know anyone here, and I'm just like, I've got to get the hell out of North Carolina before this guy really impacts my life. I'm like, what if he goes in the, you know, because we have this house. And that was was one of the issues that made it hard to leave. We owned a home. And so I'm ready to get out. Like, I want to leave. He's like, not yet. I have plans. And, you know, to sell a home, you have to have both owners sign the listing agreement. He wouldn't sign it. And so he finally signed it. But, I mean, after how many months? And because the mortgage was so high on this house, now, again, he'll have people thinking that I'm crazy, that I'm toxic, that he had to keep me up. Those things are just so far from the truth. Our house, I paid half the bills. And so the mortgage was really expensive. I'm paying half the bills. But one of us has a lot of student loan debt and this and that, and the other doesn't. So he had more money. But yet we're splitting the mortgage right down the middle, and it was killing me. Sixty hours a week, I'm having to work. But the point being, I had a financial obligation to pay half of this mortgage because my credit, and I wanted to maintain my good credit. Well, Chad, I can't live in this house, pay this mortgage, or, or you know maybe people are like, well, go get go rent somewhere. How can you rent somewhere when all your money's going into your your bills on this house? And so I was just really felt so trapped. But I did escape. I mean, I made my great escape. Um, I just got the hell out of there. I didn't have a job lined up. Um, didn't know anybody. And so when I got down here, it was difficult. I'm not close to my mother. We've just never had a close relationship. Um, you know, I have I have a family member that I was really close to, but she, she's a terrible drug addict now. And... Uh, you know, it's just there's really no support system down here. Mm-hmm. I'm close to my dad. He's stuck in North Carolina still until he sells his properties. So that was hard too, just having no support system down here. Um.
0: So, but you you're working.
1: I am. I yeah. got a job at the hospital.
0: So, so you're working. Um, so you're working there, and I guess you're. I guess the next step for you is get this case uh, settled, have it over. Uh, somehow force a divorce if that, uh, as fast as possible. And then uh, from that point, work on, uh, moving on, uh, or not, or, or really beginning the healing process.
1: Yes. And so uh, we are legally separated, I guess, um, after years pass, it'll be an automatic divorce. Um, And and as far as his job, I don't know if he will be terminated. the last I heard they said, for me, child, like, I want justice. I didn't get to testify because he was threatening me, and he had me so scared. And so, you know, my therapist wants me to come to terms with the fact that there may not be justice. And so I guess I'll have to accept that. But, you know, I'm just, like, I do believe in karma. And I just, I think that whether he, he gets terminated or not, um, you can't get away with doing this to people. It just feels, it's just so, I don't know if I've verbalized well, just what I've gone through, yeah, you have. but it's just so, it's just so life shattering. And, um, I don't know. I don't know what healing looks like to me. I can at least tell my story now without crying and I can drive down the road without crying so bad that I have to pull the car over. And so I feel like I'm making, I am making progress, but I don't know. It it seems like it lessens a little each day. And so I'm just thinking maybe a year from now, it'll just be, I won't really feel anything at all. Um, But I really just want people to know you, if you're in a situation like this, it's just, I had to read these books on it and, and I wasn't the problem. He had me convinced I was the problem. I wasn't the problem. And he didn't treat me like a human being. I mean, the things he'd said to me, and it always starts off the the verbal abuse. And that's, There's just such a pattern here. First, they have to chip away at your self-esteem, and then they put their hands on you, or they don't, but, you know, emotional abuse is just as bad, and I think that's the part that I'm having the hard time with, is just undoing all that brainwashing that he did to me, and so I think that that needs to be a big part of the healing process, is just undoing the brainwashing, because, you know, I dated him for years. And and the abuse started probably six seven months after we started dating, and so I've just for years have been told these things that so many times I just a part of me believes them to be true. So yeah, I mean I'm doing okay. I'm I got a job, I bought a house, um, and you know life is life is okay. Um,
0: well, it sounds like you know, you're started, you've started a good part of the healing process to get to where you are now. Um, in, in this situation, I mean, this, this episode for everyone, I think is going to help a lot of people, uh, the way you told your story, um, and, uh, all of the, the abuse you endured, but also, uh, how to explain to everyone who, who's not, uh, involved in these situations, or may be involved in situations that this happens. Uh, people stay in it for a, for a long time, and uh, there's no shame uh, in that at all. Um, there's, you know, the person has sucked you in, and you're you're in that world, and it's hard to get out of once you're in it. And uh, now that you're on the other side, I think it's it's inspiring. I think your your story is going to be very inspiring to people. Uh, that you, you went through so much and got to the other side and, and the way you told your story and in a very, you know, we had the discussion beforehand. Uh, I didn't know if you, I, I couldn't tell by our text if you were ready to to, to tell the story on the show based upon our texts and everything. And you told your story uh, so well and you should be really proud of yourself because um, it's gonna. this is going to help a lot of people, I think.
1: Well, I hope it does. And, you know, people are just, I have had to get, I can't really even talk to some of my friends now because they'll say things that are really offensive, like, um, oh, you just need to get over it. Like, that's the worst thing you could tell a victim of, of any sort of abuse is, oh, you just need to get over it. And, you know, one of the other things that aggravates me, well, didn't you know this about him before you got married? None of those things really matter. Yeah, it's not relevant. It doesn't matter. It's, not, it's totally irrelevant. And they don't understand the cycles because they, ca- they can't relate to this. I really feel like the people that can relate to this are the ones who have lived it, and um, there is no shame in it. And I totally get why people are stuck and why they can't leave, and um,
0: and why they don't, you know, and sometimes it, it, why they don't say anything. Uh, like uh, you know, why why you know? Just,
1: well, look just <laughs> Chad, look, why people don't say anything? I mean, the man, so. The morning I'm supposed to testify against him. Now, I haven't made up my mind. I haven't decided if I'm going to or not. A part of me, and that's what's so confusing, a part of you loves this person still, and a part of you recognizes they're hurting you, and it's, you're, you're having very conflicting emotions, and you feel crazy because they've made you that way. And so the morning I'm supposed to testify, he hadn't been staying at our home. He'd been staying with his mother 30 minutes away. I'd worked two jobs, got home at like one in the morning, and guess who's laying in my bed? He is. And I'm in the shower, and he tries the love bombing. Baby, baby, I've missed you. I haven't seen you. Well, how convenient eight hours before the hearing, right? But by this point, I have at least a little bit of knowledge of what he's doing. I haven't put a label on it. I haven't put a love bombing label on it. I just know something, like he's just trying to butter me up. Long story, Long story short... He he gets enraged when I don't assure him that I'm not testifying in a few hours. He gets enraged. And and one of the things, recognizing he was a rageaholic. That was a term I never really heard a lot either. And so he would go into these rages that were very, very scary. So he goes into this rage. I get up out of bed. I'm like, I'm going to go stay at my dad's. And I go to the dresser to pull out a few clothes, and he gets in front of me rageaholic and false imprisonment it's just never ending and what he does is he grabs me by my hair he grips it he he's he's using it as a grip and he pulls my head back slightly and he puts his face on my face I don't know if people can visualize this but his face is on my face that's how angry he is and He's telling me what a piece of shit I am and how worthless I am and how I ruined how I ruined his life. It's all my fault, of course. And I'm crying. My mouth is open. And he tilts his head slightly, and his lower lip goes into my mouth just a little bit. Chad, what do you think I did to this guy? I bit him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I bit him. He has me in a restraint. His face is on my face. His lip goes into my mouth. I bite him. Now it's nothing severe. It's not a severe injury. I just want him to let me go. I want to set myself free from him, and I want to leave the house. So he throws me off of him, pushes me off of him, whatever, and he calls 911. 911, my wife assaulted me. And he hangs up the phone, and I'm just sitting there calm as a cucumber. I'm like, well, that was stupid. I'm like, now you're going to go to jail and be on the news again. No, no. No, no, that's not what happened. So please get there. And I tell him what happened. I'm like, I'm supposed to be testifying in a few hours. I'm like, he restrained me, had his face on my face, wouldn't let my head go, wouldn't let me out of the house, and I bit him. And, you know, it didn't require any medical attention. It was just a superficial wound. Chad, he literally falsified a police report. He he told him he, he told them he didn't touch me, and I just came up and bit him. So... This has been the part that I'm having a hard time discussing with people because it's just so unbelievable. It's so humiliating. I've never been to jail in my life. Who do you think they arrested? You. Me. Yeah. I, I, being abused by this monster for six months wasn't enough. This is how, this is how sick he is. He victimized me again, and then he, and then and then just really added the trauma and as you know the people are on their way the the police are on their way. he's like, "Now, bitch, you get to see what it's like to go to jail, and now you'll see what it's like to lose your job. Well, I didn't lose my job, not even close doesn't affect patient care um, but the point being he was just I told on him, and he retaliated. Mm-hmm. And it did become very scary, and it really could have impacted my life. And I'm glad that I did get out relatively unscathed, but it did require leaving the state. Um, so yeah, that was that was something too to have to deal with now. And you know, they take it takes your identity away. Um, you know, that's something I've been kind of dealing with too. Is I just sometimes I feel like I don't know who I am anymore. So that was, that was really scary to me that an officer could do that. And I did call internal affairs and I I requested that they give him a polygraph. I don't know if they did or not, but yeah, it was very traumatic. And, um, you know, that's my story. And, uh, I wish, I wish I would have had a hidden camera in the house. Had I had a camera in the house, it would have seen what had happened. And so when you're dealing with someone like this, these are things you have to think of. And, um, you know the the charges got dismissed, but it was still very scary, and I did have to sit in a in a holding cell for about eight hours. And um, that's when I when I got out, I'm like, I've got to get out of here. When a police officer starts falsifying police reports, that becomes very very scary. Mm-hmm. So.
0: I got out, and here I am. And here you are. So, and <laughs> here I, and, I am. And I, w- I just want to thank you for uh, sharing your story with us today, and uh, being part of the show. And uh, for everyone out there who's listening, I think you uh, can learn a lot from uh, this story. It's a you know a, a tale. It's a heart. It, you know, it's a, uh, a made for a TV. It's a movie, like a, a movie. Like this stuff kind of only happens in the movies, or people see it only in the movies. And uh, this is, uh, was, is your real life. And, um, uh, I wish you nothing but the best, but we'll hopefully we'll keep in touch and uh, find out more as, as this, as your story kind of unfolds and where you are in your healing process later. Um, but, uh, besides that, I just, once again, uh, thank you for being on the show and, uh, that is it. So everyone out there, uh, you'll probably now hear me uh, say a little bit extra after this to discuss this conversation. And uh, now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm just blabbering. So uh, good night. And that was Layla's story. And as I said at the beginning, it's one of those stories that is so, uh, so hard to believe. Uh, it's hard to believe if it was not true uh and if you saw it in the movie you'd probably be like ah you know this kind of stuff doesn't happen but you know what it, it does and this is her life and she's still in it and still living in it uh she's trying to get to the other side but she probably won't be able to get to that healing process until uh the whole court case and everything is settled and you know until like a, uh, an official divorce uh occurs when you, she'll finally be able to really get onto the actual, uh, healing process. But she was very, she told her story very well and she should be very proud of herself. Uh, I had, uh, as I said, in the actual conversation, I did have reservations, bring her on the show. Cause I didn't want, uh, I didn't know what her tone of voice was going to be. And I didn't want her triggering. Uh, all of you guys and the worst thing could happen is yes, everyone has deserves to have their story told. But at the same time, I have a responsibility to the listeners not to, to uh, trigger all of you and send you into some sort of spiral. So uh, she just she did a really good job. She was very calm in telling her story. And, um, you know, she's uh, a fighter. And uh, she's gonna keep on fighting and hopefully we'll have her on again. Uh, to find out what happens uh, in the aftermath and how her uh, life is going, which I want to do with everyone who's been on the show, uh, to find out, uh, some updates, which is why we built also the, the Reddit uh, forum for ourselves. So besides that, uh, listen to tell your friends to listen to our show. If you know someone that needs to listen to our show, uh, tell them to come and take a listen. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll have an episode uh, we're recording with a, a lawyer who specializes in domestic uh, abuse. Uh, so if you have questions for her, come to the forum uh, on Reddit, ask your questions on there. I'll put them all on a piece of paper to give to her and uh, we'll go from there. So a lot of people that might not be able to afford some leave, just for, like, you know, it's expensive uh, legal, some, just one legal question that you might have, uh, she'll be able to answer it for you um give us some five star ratings tell your friends we're on stitcher we're on itunes we're on P- apple podcasts we're on google podcasts we're on everything and uh we're going to st- we started opening like our own little store to buy shirts that I've been making some of them are good some of them are not one shirt that I made isn't is actually up which is actually a drawing that I made um in a in a, a podcast that I we've uh, done it will be out next week uh which was a, a kind of an art therapy experiment podcast and that one was uh i I really enjoyed that uh it was pretty interesting to do we talked while uh we were drawing you know a regular conversation happened i learned a lot about myself and things that i was struggling with but now again i am always rambling so i will just bid everyone adieu hope you have a great week until we meet again Uh, Later in the week when I'll release the uh, therapist show with all of your questions. So thank you for listening to the how to survive the narcissist apocalypse podcast. I am Chad, the impaler, and you have a good night. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.